Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. A day is coming when national cemeteries, military cemeteries, will no longer have fresh graves. There's a new world that's coming. Because wars will be over and never again will nation fight against nation. Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that every warrior sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. A new day is coming because the child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. A new world is coming. Something, something brand new, something that this world has never witnessed or experienced before. Because Jesus Christ, who was born to us, the Son who was given to us, Jesus Christ is going to set up a government and a kingdom of peace and righteousness. The new world that's coming, as we saw last week in Isaiah chapter 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little child shall lead them, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord like, like the waters cover the sea. There is a new world that's coming. When Jesus returns to this earth and he reigns supreme with justice and righteousness, and holiness. Passage after passage in the book of Isaiah, the book that we are studying here at Fellowship Bible Church, working our way through the book of Isaiah, passage after passage in Isaiah talks about this, this, this coming day, this, this kingdom that is going to come. And hundreds of passages elsewhere in, in the Bible. Uh, in fact, I think it's one of the most talked about topics in all of Scripture. A day is coming, and everything will be new. And Jesus Christ is going to reign supreme. It's a coming new world, and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I realize there's diversity of understanding of prophetic scripture. It is a very tough topic uh, Lots of different views on this. I understand that. But um, in my simple mind, I'm just a simple guy, and if, if a guy looks at passages of Scripture and just 
literally just take it for what it says. Just, just read it in its normal, literal sense. I think that we can anticipate something that's coming where Jesus Christ is going to right every wrong and rule supreme on this earth. So what is this new world? What is this kingdom that's coming? When is it going to come? I want this morning to... I, I, I don't typically like to do proof texting sermons, you know, where you take a topic, you know, of the hobby horse, the famous uh, hobby horse thing, uh, uh, what a, say a past particular topic that the pastor loves, and so he, he takes that topic and then he finds all these verses that are going to support it, and that's the sermon. We here at Fellowship Bible Church, we like to work our way through the Scriptures, through a book of the Bible, let it speak for itself. Um, I'm going to depart from that, and I'm going to do some proof texting today. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about this coming kingdom. And two things. I'm going to talk about the importance of it. And second of all, I'm going to talk about some of the characteristics of this coming kingdom. The importance of it. You get a sense of the great importance. And by the way... Um, I, if you use the sermon app on your smart device, phone, whatever, they, these, I, I've got more notes in there than what was in the bulletin. You see, I, they require of me here to have the notes in the bulletin. Come on now, at, at noon on Thursday. And I'm still in a fog oftentimes. On, I'm, well, I'm oftentimes in a fog here. But um, so... Some of that didn't, I, it doesn't coalesce in my mind anyway, so, but Saturday morning I was able to put this, so it's, if, if you have a sermon app uh, on your phone, smartphone, uh, go ahead, uh, these things will, will be more detailed in there. But you get a sense of the, of the importance of this topic by who talked about it. So, for instance, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, when he came to Mary, he said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom that will have no end. Gabriel announced to Mary about a coming king and a kingdom. This is important information. John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John the Baptist had a message. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom that is sourced in heaven. Not a kingdom that is sourced in the earth. This is not a, a man-designed kingdom. This is a kingdom that has its source in heaven. It's a kingdom of God. And it's coming. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Uh, it was a quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. We'll get to it sometime. And it is the coming of the voice that announces, get ready because the kingdom and the king is coming. That was John the Baptist ministry. When Jesus was here, 
and he was preaching in the synagogues. What did he preach? He was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and he was proclaiming this good news, the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus talked about the kingdom. That's what you would hear in his message. Now, people didn't receive it. He is crucified by the Roman authorities through the deceptive hands of the religious leaders. And yet, three days later, he rises again, and he's still talking about the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom while he was here on earth. Prior to his crucifixion, he's raised from the dead. And according to Acts chapter 1, the first account, Luke writes, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had been, by the Holy Spirit, given orders. He had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says, To these he presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And what was he doing? Speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. It was like a broken record. The kingdom of God that was ever present on Jesus' mind. I find it interesting that he didn't gather his disciples together and says, okay, that's finished. Now, something new is going to begin. Uh, it's called the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And I got 40 days. Let me tell you how to order it. There's going to be elders and deacons, and, and you do this, and, and you, know, you have the Lord's table, and you do this in remembrance of me. And he laid it all out. Not Jesus. For 40 days, what is he doing? He's talking about the kingdom. It was ever present on his mind. And the master teacher was so good at what he was doing in teaching about the kingdom, the disciples, they didn't miss it. They heard it when he was walking this earth and teaching in the synagogues. They heard it for 40 days as Jesus, after his resurrection, was teaching them. And so a natural question that they asked in verse 6 was, well, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Where do they get that kind of a question? I mean, did Jesus say, oh, good night. No, he says, it's not for you to know the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He didn't chastise them. No, you missed the whole point. Jesus talked about a kingdom. He talked about a kingdom, about Israel and that kingdom. He talked about a coming king who was set on the throne of David in that kingdom. And so the disciples are saying, look, is it now? Then there was the Apostle Paul. And again, like a broken record, Paul talked about the kingdom. Example, in the Ephesian church, it says in chapter 19, verse 8 of Acts, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This was the, this was the main topic. You come to the, book of, uh, the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28. Paul has been arrested. He's in Rome, imprisoned, in house arrest. And people are coming to meet with him. And, you know, he, he didn't know his life may be over in the next day, week, month. 
And so he's got this final thing. He's, he, potentially, people walk in, he's going to talk with them. He's got one final thing he needs to share with them. What is it? In chapter 28, verse 23, a day had been set for Paul. They came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. You know what Paul was doing? I think he was taking, in large part, the biggest book in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter, or other than the Psalms, the prophet Isaiah, 66 chapters. And he's, he's, just, he's just pounding this over. He's going over verse by verse by verse, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, the king, Jesus, and he's doing it from the law and the prophets because it's all over, all over there. Now, I have no reason to doubt that the kingdom that Paul was talking about and the kingdom that Jesus went about teaching and for 40 days discipled his disciples about and the kingdom that John the Baptist was proclaiming and the kingdom that Gabriel announced was the same kingdom that Isaiah was talking about. I have no reason to doubt A kingdom that would one day come. A new world that's going to come. So what are the characteristics of this kingdom? And here's where I just want to um, go through 14 different characteristics, and there's hundreds of them. So this is going to be a summary. And I guess what I want to do is challenge you because if Gabriel announced it, and John the Baptist announced it, and Jesus talked about it, even after he was raised from the dead, and the Apostle Paul and the Apostles talked about it, I get this sense that we as the people of God today, we ought to know something about the kingdom. We should not be ignorant about the kingdom, about this new world that's coming. It's that important. And so I'm just going to touch on some things. And um, I'll guarantee you it's going to raise probably more questions than it's going to answer. And that's good because, man, if it can drive us to the Word and say, wait a minute, is this really true? Here's the first characteristic I want to mention, that the coming kingdom is a literal kingdom on earth. Now, the, the, the Scriptures talk about in a general sense, there are verses that talk about God's universal reign going on right now from the creation of the earth until its consummation. There is a reign of God. He is supreme. There's not one molecule that is out of, of, of control from under his sovereign hand. Psalm 93 and Psalm 100. 103. And Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35 talk about this. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he's just come to his senses, that story of Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, he was a great pompous king of Babylon, and then God knocked him low, and then he got his eyes opened after seven years acting like an animal. You remember that story? And he comes to his senses, and he says, so I've come to understand there is a God who reigns supreme. Right now he has dominion over all. 
He is the only sovereign king of all. Right now, God reigns supreme. What Isaiah is talking about, what Jesus was preaching, what was announced by Gabriel, what Paul went on to preach, is a kingdom that is yet to come. And it's a kingdom that is literally going to come onto this earth. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. In the days of those kings, and in the context, we won't take the time to turn there, but Daniel is interpreting a dream of an image of nations, powers, empires of the world. There was the Babylonian Empire at the time that Daniel was writing this, that merged into or was it conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire that would then later be conquered by the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire that would go on and continue. In the days of these earthly nations, of these earthly kings, another kingdom is going to be set up. He said it's one that will not be left to another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms that itself will endure forever. This is what Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9 says. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day the Lord will be the only one. His name the only one. There's a day coming. There's a kingdom coming over all the earth. Here's a second characteristic. It is the kingdom where Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. We've already seen this in the announcement of Gabriel. He's going to be called great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. This is what Isaiah was talking about. Isaiah 9, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. A literal kingdom on earth where Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Where was that? Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the seat of his government. Now again... <clears throat> I'm not the brightest bulb in the group, uh, you know, um, just kind of a simple guy, but when it says Jerusalem, then I'll take it means Jerusalem. When, when the plain sense makes good sense, interpreters will say, don't seek any other sense. This is just what it's saying. Zechariah chapter 2 puts it this way, sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I'm coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they'll become my people. And then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. It says in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3, <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Jerusalem. In verses, uh, chapter 8, verse 21 through 23, the inhabitants of one will go to another and they will say, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. 
I will also go. And so many peoples and mighty nations will come. They'll seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. And thus the Lord of hosts says, in those days, 10 men from all nations will grasp the garment of a Jew and they will say, let's go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Let's go to Jerusalem. Now, that's what it says. Zechariah, by the way, was another guy. <clears throat> Thank you. May your tribe rise up and call you blessed. <clears throat> Zechariah was, uh, was a prophet who in another passage talked about the king coming and riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Last time I checked, that happened literally, didn't it? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. If the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. <clears throat> the nations are going to come up to Jerusalem and they're going to worship the king in Jerusalem one day. And his rule is going to be universal. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Psalm chapter 2 is what's called an enthronement psalm, a, a royal psalm. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, that's Jerusalem, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I'll surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possessions. A universal reign. I hope this is raising all sorts of questions in your mind. It does me, even as I, I preach this. Remember when <clears throat> Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness? Satan is, he's in the wilderness and Satan is tempting him and Satan says, all these nations I'll give to you. Just bow and worship me for their mind to give. Now he's a, Satan is the liar, right? The, the great deceiver. He's a liar from the beginning and a murderer. I think he was speaking truth. For we know elsewhere in scripture that this whole world lies in the grip and the power of the evil one. There's an interesting passage in Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter 32, and I'm off subject here, but Deuteronomy 32, it talks about the dividing of the nations. And Jehovah God, Yahweh, the God of, of Israel, says, all, he said, these nations are going to all be divided up. But he said, my portion will be Israel. Now, there's other passages that speak of, of other entities that rule over the other nations. God says, my portion is Israel. But one day, he's going to shove Satan aside and the king will reign over all the nations supremely, universally. Here's a sixth or fifth characteristic. All peoples of the earth then will submit to his rule and serve him. All peoples of the earth will submit. One day every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess. Every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess Jesus is the Lord. 
Daniel put it this way, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of the heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. All the people. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Folks, there's a new world coming. We've seen this passage before, Isaiah 2. It will come about in that last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples, they'll come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Can you imagine this? Everybody on this earth will bow their knee before him and will say, let's go up and learn of his ways. It's never happened before, but it's coming. Here's a sixth characteristic. David is going to be resurrected and serve as vice regent under the king of kings. That's right. Here's what Jeremiah wrote. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bonds. He's talking about the Jewish people. And strangers will no longer make them their slaves, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. Now again, I just am a simple guy. But David is going to reign as a co-regent with the king of kings because God is going to raise him up as with all the Old Testament saints. There's a day coming and the King David of old will find his rightful place. Here's a, six, a seventh. The apostles are going to sit on the 12 tribes. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 says, Peter said to him, Behold, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Good old Peter. He's weighing the options. He's pulling out his pants pockets. There's nothing in it. He's, he said, we've given your, our last penny to follow you. We've got nothing. So what's in it for us? And this is what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, you have followed me. And in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How's that for an answer, Peter? I, well, I'd be happy with just a little remuneration of some sort. You're going to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel because you followed me. I take that literally. In the regeneration, he says, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, in that time when the world is made new, when this new world comes, The coming kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be marked by all sorts of glorious things, righteousness and just, just, justice. That's Isaiah 11. We won't take the time to turn back there. We saw that last week, I think it was. 
Jesus is going to, to reign with, with, with justice and righteousness. It says he's going to reign with equity. He's going to be equitable and fair in his judgments. There's going to be worldwide peace. We saw that in chapter 2. Weapons of warfare are going to be turned into weapons of peacefulness or, or tools of peacefulness. Plowshares and pruning hooks. There's going to be general prosperity over the earth. It's a passage we're going to look at shortly in, in Isaiah chapter 35. In chapter 35, um, verse 5, it says this. Let me just read this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams of the, in the Arabah, in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of the jackals will be a resting place. Grass becomes like reeds and rushes. It's kind of like my front yard lately. This is a time of unprecedented wealth and, and wholeness and Eden-like returning taming of wild beasts. We saw that last week, Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard, with the young goat, a child at the cobra's den. Everything is going to be new because a new kingdom is coming. Folks, this is not fantasy. This is not a myth. This is not science fiction. This is real. People are going to live longer. Isaiah chapter 65, an interesting passage. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in my people, and, they, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. A a hundred-year-old person, that will be like a youth because longevity is going to increase. It's It's like going back to the days in the early Genesis. It's what it says. Just like Jesus said, in three days I'll rise again. Okay, three days. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, I'll believe it. People are going to live longer. That's what it says. There's a new world that's coming. Here's a, a tenth thing. The temple is going to be rebuilt and temple service is going to begin again. That's Exodus or Ezekiel 40 through 46. Seven chapters that details in very um, um, kind of minute details about a, a, a re, reinserting of the temple and, the, and, and temple services. Fascinating. Well, the Old Testament law is going to be reimposed and carefully followed. Wait a minute. Are you kidding me? The Old Testament law? Now, we're living under an age that's called grace. We're no longer under the law of the Old Testament. But when the king comes back, The Bible teaches the law is going to go forth once again. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Do you think I came to abolish the law of the prophets? I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from this law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. Now watch this. Anyone who, who minimizes one of the laws, the Old Testament, annuls it and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about heaven where we go when we're going to die. He's talking about the kingdom that's going to come. Because in heaven, no one's going to disavow the teachings of, of God and the heaven that we get to go to as a free gift of eternal life. But when that kingdom that is sourced in heaven, the kingdom of God, comes to this earth and Jesus reigns and the law is reimposed, better be careful, Jesus is saying, because one who minimizes the law, he'll be minimized. And whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in that kingdom because the law is going to be reimposed. Here's a twelfth one. The coming kingdom is going to be a thousand years in length. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of this. I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan. He bound him for a thousand years and he threw him into the abyss and he shut it and he sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. It goes on seven times. That phrase, a thousand years, is mentioned. Well, okay, that's what it says. I'm not smart enough to say, well, maybe that means this, or maybe let's spiritualize it, let's come up with another, maybe it just means something else. I don't know. Again, when Jesus said three days, I'll rise again. It was three days. A thousand years. And then Satan is going to be bound in the abyss. We just read that. He was laid hold of. The dragon, the serpent of old, who is devil, he's bound for a thousand years. And then the best is yet to come. When the thousand years is completed, Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And this kingdom on earth is going to flow into the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and a new earth. It's what it says. So many more things could be talked about. Hundreds of more characteristics of the coming kingdom. It is all over the Bible. And it is so seldom taught. But there is a kingdom that's coming, and Jesus Christ is going to come and reign supreme on this earth. He's going to take his seat on the throne of David, and David is going to be his vice regent. And all the nations are going to come before him and worship him. They're going to learn, and the knowledge of the Lord will cover this earth like the waters cover the sea, and he will reign, and his law will be imposed. And for a thousand years, this world will be subject to the righteousness and the justice and the holiness of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And folks, if just a part of this is true, wouldn't it make sense that we learn about this? 
that you go home and check to see this is true, that, that we take our Bibles that God has given us graciously and communicated, if it was important to Gabriel and, and John the Baptist and Jesus taught it, and the apostles taught it over and over and over again. There's a kingdom that's coming, and Jesus is going to reign, and this world will know peace and righteousness and holiness. It's going to happen. And there's one question that we have to ask ourselves, one important question. Where will you be when all this takes place? Where are you going to be when this comes down? I don't want to be overly dramatic, and so I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I just almost like to ask you to turn around and look at the people around you because, folks, every one of you, every one of you and everyone who's ever lived and everyone who's living right now is going to be one of two places. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, upon the authority of the Scriptures, the Bible says that you will be assigned a place of torment, of eternal destruction. It's called hell. And Jesus talked about hell three times more than he ever talked about heaven. But there's a second place. There's only going to be two places. That's the first place. The second place, well, this is what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. And here's the last part, that where I am, there you will be also. You see, the second place that every one of us in this room who knows Jesus as our personal Savior is going to be wherever Jesus is. Because he says, I'm going to take you and receive you unto myself. And if it's in heaven, he's going to, we're going to be with him. And if he's reigning in Jerusalem, we're going to be in some way with him. Because where he is, we'll be with him. That is a promise from the lips of our Savior. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You'll be with me because he's a God who loves us. He's a God of grace. I'm going to be with him. And the Bible says that if we live faithfully here on earth, and if we serve him, if we take our life of relationship with him and serve him and, and even suffer for his sake, we'll get in some form or fashion the ability to reign with him. But we'll all be with him. But he wants us as believers in Jesus Christ to live our life. Folks, do you understand that this is the proving ground right now, this time that we're living in? This speck of sand of all of eternity that we're living in right now is a proving ground. We're not living for ourselves. We're not here to, to make a great income and a, and a great retirement. We're here to live for the king. Because he's coming back and he's going to set up a kingdom on earth and we're going to be with him. And will we reign with him? It depends how we serve him now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 
Folks, this is the greatest tragedy of all. Because there's a God who sets all this up because he loves us. He's a God of grace, of mercy. And he beckons to you. He calls you. I want you to be with me. And he came to this earth and he died on a cross. He paid for your sins and my sins. He did it because he loved you. Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because there's only two places when the end comes. It's eternal hell or in his presence. I'm going to ask you right here today, have you put your trust in Christ? Because the answer, well, I hope so or I think so, I'm not sure, it's not going to cut it. Because you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. How do we know? Because it's historical fact. 2,000 years ago, he died. 2,000 years ago, he took your sin and he was judged. 2,000 years ago, he rose from the dead in triumph, having paid for your sins. And so when you put your trust, when you believe that he alone is the giver of eternal life, that he did all that for you, when you put your trust, when you transfer your trust off of yourself and onto him and him alone for eternal life in that moment of trust. Do you believe it? Do you believe this good news message in the moment of faith? The Bible says you get the free gift of eternal life and you can walk out of here today absolutely assured. Not because of how you have performed or how you have lived or how well you've obeyed the Ten Commandments or how much money you've given to the church or your baptism certificate. It's because of what he did on the cross. Have you put your trust in Christ? It's that simple work of trust, that simple act of faith that will determine where you'll spend eternity. In eternal judgment or with him, wherever that is, wherever your eschatology leads you, wherever your understanding of theological end times leads you, do you want to be with him? I'm so glad that God is not twiddling his fingers and biting him to a bloody stub up in heaven wondering what in the world is going to happen. He's got it tacked down. And his son is going to return. Just as sure as we're sitting here, a new world is coming. I pray that you'll be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your kindness in making provision for we who are undeserving sinners to live with you for eternity and empowering us with your presence and calling us to a life of service so that we can even reign with you. I pray, Father, that you would instill within us a desire to learn all the more about this new world that's coming. Help us to not mistake your passion for that which is yet to come, that which is about to unfold when your Son returns in glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.